Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Michael Hatton on Parashat Vayetze. This podcast is sponsored by Elaine and Ari Hochberg. With deep and sincere gratitude to Rabbi Michael Hatton, whose illuminating teaching about the past enlightens the present and provides strength for the future. Make for yourself a teacher and acquire for yourself a friend. Perkeah vote one six. And now here is Rabbi Michael Hatton. Yaakov and the stone atop the well. Parshat Vayetzi opens with Yaakov in flight from his brother Esav. Toward the end of last week's reading, Yaakov had worn the garments of his older sibling, assumed Esav's coarse identity, and prepared the delicious foods that his aged and blind father Yitzchak loved. All of this he had done hesitatingly at the behest of his mother Rivka in order to secure the blessings that would designate him as the sole successor to Avraham and as the possessor of of the divine pledge of the land of Canaan. The Rus succeeded, but Yaakov's relationship with his brother Esav, tenuous in the best of times, was irreparably torn apart. In fact, Esav was so full of wrath that plans of fratricide began to take shape in his feverish mind. When the days of mourning for my, for my father draw near, then I will kill my brother Yaakov. Chapter 27, verse 41. Rivka, who loved her son Yaakov more than anything, advised him to flee northeastwards to the land of Haran, there to find refuge with her brother Lavan until Esav's anger would subside. She said to him, Behold, Esav, your brother takes comfort with thoughts of killing you. Therefore, my son, listen to me, arise and escape to Haran, to Lavan, my brother. Until such a time as your brother's anger is no longer directed towards you, he has forgotten what you have done. Then I shall send and fetch you from there. Why should I become bereft of both of you in a single day? Chapter 27, verses 42 to 45. Following his mother's advice and securing his father's belated blessings, Yaakov journeyed forth from Be'er Sheva full of misgivings and dread, banished like a fugitive from before Esav's fury. Slowly his feet plodded onwards, the heavy pack containing all of his earthly possessions weighing heavily upon his stooped shoulders. But the questions that burdened his mind were even weightier. Would he ever see his aged father again? Would his doting mother live long enough to bring him back from Haran? Would his feet ever tread again upon Canaan's hallowed earth? And would he in the end merit to see the fulfillment of God's promises of offspring, land, and nation? the very promises that had forced Rivka's perilous plan in the first place. 
as the dying red rays cast their long, glassed, ominous shadows, the enormity of Yaakov's predicament suddenly came into painful focus. The lone entire traveler set his possessions down. Gathering the scattered stones about him for protection from the night's demons, his mind still racing with the images of the events, he fell into a restless sleep. But now other visions filled his head, for in his dream he saw a strong ladder standing tall, its feet firmly planted upon the black earth, while its top reached to the cobalt blue sky. Upon it, awesome angels silently and serenely ascended and descended, and then he heard the reassuring voice of God himself. I am the Lord of Abraham your father and the Lord of Yitzchak, and I shall give the land upon which you sleep to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall be as numerous as the dust of the earth. You shall burst forth to the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed on your account and on account of your descendants. I shall be with you. I shall guard over you wherever you go. I shall return you to this land, for I will never abandon you until I have fulfilled that which I have spoken concerning you. Chapter 28 verses 13 to 15. The next morning, Yaakov arose at dawn, his fears allayed, his uncertainties assuaged. Though an immense and unknown journey lay before him, he no longer felt alone, for God had pledged that he would protect him, that he would return him in safety to the land. Buoyed by the divine vision, he donned his sack once again, but this time it seemed much lighter. Setting his sights towards the east and the rising sun, he set out. Nothing else is related of Yaakov's journey from Beit El, the locus of the vision of the latter, to the town of Haran, more than 600 kilometers to the northeast. When next we hear of Yaakov, he is close to his destination. It is then that he abruptly encounters the three flocks and their shepherds, all of them gathered around a well in the field. Tentatively, Yaakov approaches them, inquires after their welfare, and asks them if they might know Lavan, the son of Nahor. They said, we know him, he is well. Behold, his daughter Rachel is now approaching with the sheep. Chapter 29, verse 6. Puzzled by their seeming lethargy so early in the day, Yaakov asks them why they do not provide the sheep with water from the well and then return to the fields to graze. But they said, we cannot until all of the flocks gather and together roll off the stone from the mouth of the well, for only then can we water the sheep. A huge stone, unnoticed by Yaakov when he first made their acquaintance, covered the well, and only all of the shepherds together are capable of removing it. And so the three flocks patiently wait, for only with the arrival of the other shepherds will it be possible to roll off the giant cover. Now, however, something wondrous happens. As soon as Yaakov sees Rachel with the sheep, he is filled with a superhuman burst of vigor. 
Yaakov approached and rolled off the stone from upon the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Lavan. The Romantics among us will be tempted to ascribe Yaakov's heroic deed to love at first sight. Such a reading is reinforced by what follows. Yaakov kissed Rachel, he then lifted up his voice and cried. Strangely enough, though, most of the commentaries refrain from making the connection. While they marvel over Yaakov's show of strength, they fail to specifically link it to the arrival of Rachel. In fact, for most of the commentaries, probably most of the readers, the entire episode is largely inexplicable. Why all of the attention upon the shepherds and upon the well? Why all of the details about the number of the flocks and about the heavy stone? Why all of the conversation between Yaakov and the men when, only, when the only pertinent fact is the arrival of Yaakov at his destination? We can readily appreciate the cathartic quality of the encounter with Rachel, but all of the other particulars seem extraneous. The baffling nature of the moment may be gauged by the fact that the Midrash and Breshit Rabbah provides us with no fewer than seven different explanations for the section, all of them drawing upon themes that are non-contextual. In one reading, the three flocks refer to Moshe, Aharon, and Miriam, respectively. The well refers to Israel's post-Exodus experience in the wilderness when God miraculously slaked their thirst. In another Midrashic reading, the well refers to the city of Jerusalem. The three flocks are a reference to the three pilgrim festivals. These times are the times when the people of Israel would draw their spiritual sustenance, their water from the well, as it were, from the inspiration of the temple celebrations. It should be apparent, while all of these explanations may be communicating important and profound ideas, they are not at all implied by the straightforward reading of the text. Perhaps the key to understanding the passage is to be found in the literary cues that are provided by the critical verse describing the moment of the meeting between Yaakov and Rachel, and that verse reads as follows. When Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother, Yaakov approached and rolled off the stone from upon the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother. Chapter 29, verse 10. The mention of Rachel's connection to him is, of course, important. She is the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother, and therefore represents the possible fulfillment of Rivka's expectations that Yaakov, her son, might find a wife. But repeating the relation three times is unwarranted. No new information is conveyed by the fact that he's also related to the sheep. We note, of course, that of all the details contained in the verse, the most repeated and seemingly most unnecessary concerns Yaakov's mother we are already well aware of the familial connection. Rivka made it clear that he was to flee to Lavan, my brother in Haran. 
Maybe the text is emphasizing his mother for that very reason. It is not simply the sight of Rachel or the sheep that inspires Yaakov with supernatural strength, but rather the memory of his own mother, Rivka. Recall, it had been Rivka who had always loved Yaakov and believed in his latent abilities, even as Yitzchak, his father, inexplicably preferred a sav in spite of all of his failings. Recall as well that it had been Rivka and Rivka alone who had initiated the plan of impersonation and deception, even though she knew that such a deed would destroy her relationship with her hunter son, Esav. It had been Rivka again who had bidden her favorite son, Yaakov, to flee so that he might live. In both situations, Rivka convinced Yaakov with the very same phrase that highlighted her pivotal role. And now, my son, listen to me. In essence, we tend to focus upon Yaakov's feelings of estrangement and loneliness on the eve of his flight. But we must take care not to overlook his grieving mother, who sacrificed everything for his sake. She is the one who is left truly alone after his departure. Yaakov journeys towards a family and a brighter future, but Rivka remains behind to suffer the terrible aftermath of his deed. There will never be reconciliation with Esav. Even as she bravely exclaims that you shall dwell with him for a short time, Yaakov, until your brother's rage subsides, and then I shall send forth and fetch you from there, both, he, both she as well as Yaakov realize that in all probability they will never see each other again. Thus it is that Yaakov journeyed forth burdened with the terrible realization that he leaves behind his mother, Rivka, forever. While it is recorded of Esav that he pathetically lifted up his voice and cried when Yitzchak declared to him that the blessings had been secured by his brother, the impersonator, the text mentions no sound of Yaakov's cries at the moment of his parting, Breaking his mother's embrace, he unflinchingly turned his back and left her. For he knew that were he to become over, were he to be overcome now, he could never stem the flow of tears. And steadily he traveled on, reassured by the divine vision at Beit El, but still far, far away from Haran and the haven of his maternal uncle's household. As he walked, the final image of his broken mother remained seared into his consciousness. In his mind's eye, he clearly sees Rivka's red and swollen eyes and hears her muffled sobs. Finally, a well appears, always a potent symbol of hope and regeneration in the Torah. But while the general metaphorical association of wells may be enough to explain their sudden appearance here, might there be an additional dimension to the matter? 
Yaakov chanced to be upon a bucolic landscape, a well in the field surrounded by gently bleeding flocks, even as he realized that he was finally approaching his destination. Could that moment perhaps have reminded him of another similar scene, one that he himself had never seen, but he had known it intuitively since his childhood? Hadn't his mother, when she slipped into wistful reminisce, always painted the landscape of her coming of age with similar brushstrokes to what he now saw before him? How, he, how could he not now remember her vivid portrayal of Eliezer's arrival so many years earlier, perhaps at this very well, with ten thirsty camels and so many dust-encrusted retainers? She had been a young girl then, unburdened by all of life's intricacies and naively unaware of its nasty surprises. As the cool evening fell, she had been on her way down to the well to fill her jug with water. Chapter 24, verse 16. A weary traveler, Eliezer, had approached her and had asked her for a sip. How graciously she responded, drink, my lord. She gave him water and then proceeded to heroically care for all of his parched camels. And with that act of compassionate and childlike decency, she had sealed her fate to later become Yitzchak's loyal wife and the mother of his mismatched children, Esav and Yaakov. The fundamental elements of that encounter are all reproduced here exactly. Yaakov sees Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, his mother's brother. The sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother. He removes the massive stone to water the sheep of Lavan, his mother's brother. Filled with the memory of his own mother Rivka and her youthful act of heroism, Consumed by her more recent deed of self-sacrifice for his sake, Yaakov approached the well and miraculously lifted off the boulder, even as he peered deeply into the eyes of his cousin Rachel, who we may surmise bore a striking, striking resemblance to his own mother. And finally, the circle of Rivka's selfless and superhuman act now closed as Yaakov lifted up his voice and cried, releasing the tears that had been staunchly held back since he had left her on that awful day, months, or in accordance with the rabbis, years before. The commentaries then were quite correct in refusing to see in the episode a shallow expression of infatuation. They neglected to explicitly draw the connections that we have drawn, but they were surely aware of the possibility. As Rashi himself remarks, Yaakov cried because he had arrived empty-handed. He said, Eliezer, my father's servant, had come with earrings and bracelets and beautiful gifts, but I have nothing. This then is the true significance of Yaakov's encounter at the well. In the end, Rivka's prayers for eventual restoration went unanswered. She never merited seeing her beloved Yaakov again. So consuming was her act of self-sacrifice that the Torah neglects to mention her death or burial at all. Rivka's only epitaph then is the deed recorded in our parsha. 
As Yaakov approaches the massive stone and rolls it off, giving water and life to his cousin Rachel's sheep and to all of the shepherd's flocks. Like Rivka before him, he declares that acts of compassion and kindness can never be self-serving. They are seldom effortless. They often bring tears in their wake. Rivka's life had been one long tale of such deeds, her most awesome act of self-sacrifice, her final one, the securing of the patriarchal blessings for Yaakov. Even with the realization that it would spell her own doom, that is what her son now commemorates as he steps forward in her memory and removes the colossal stone so that the shepherds and the sheep might drink their fill. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to visit us on Spotify or at elmod.pardes.org for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Be sure to tune in next week as Rabbi Alex Israel discusses Parashat Vayishlach. Thanks for listening.